Hello and welcome back. This is episode 88 of Campbell Conversations with your host, Colin Campbell. And today's conversation, we are talking about longevity and living a better, healthier life. To do so, we are joined by Kayla Barnes. Kayla is a certified brain health coach who completed her brain health training under Dr. Daniel Amen at the Amen Clinics. Kayla began her wellness journey after years of battling with numerous brain-related issues such as ADHD, anxiety, and at times depression. From this, Kayla moved forward and has healed her brain and her body while upgrading her own biology through proper nutrition, mindful movement, biohacking, and following a brain health protocol. This was an incredibly interesting conversation for me because we dive into how Kayla actioned some of what she learned over the years and how we can take forward some of these different steps and apply it to improve our own brain health, live longer, while still improving the quality of the life that we lead. Because it's all well and good living longer, but living fuller, more actualized, enjoyable lives is vastly important to both me and I'm sure you listening as well. As part of this conversation, we also discuss how the world could have taken a more proactive health approach to handling the pandemic, and it'll certainly get you thinking about how you and others around you can be healthier and look after your well-being. I would get the notepad, get the pens out for this one, because there's going to be a lot of very challenging thoughts and processes to go through that I think you might action off the back of this podcast. Today's podcast is supported and sponsored by Factory Weights. Factory Weights enable you to get high quality gym and fitness equipment at an affordable price with next day delivery for just £3. If you're listening to this episode around the time of release, which would be Sunday the 12th of September, Factory Weights have just had a restock of all dumbbells, kettlebells, barbells, plates, as well as some of the resistance equipment like resistance bands, liquid chalk and more. You can shop on the website, which is factoryweights.co.uk and use the code CALL10 for 10% off to save on your order. Like I said, this episode was an incredibly interesting one for me to record on a personal level. I learned a lot and there's a number of things that I'll be implementing to improve my own health moving forward. And I'm sure you will be too. To enable me to keep getting brilliant guests like Kayla, make sure that you are subscribed to this podcast. So navigate that thumb to the subscribe or the follow button, whatever app you're on, because we have lots more great episodes to come. And if you have enjoyed this one, ping the link on to a friend because the podcast grows from you sharing the podcast with other like-minded people who want to be their best self too. But without my dulcet tones rambling on any longer, let's get into conversation with Kayla Barnes. Welcome back to Canberra Conversations. Today's conversation, we are talking about health from a very different angle that we've done so before, and we're going to do it in a lot of detail. We are joined by Kayla Barnes, all the way from Ohio in the United States. Kayla, thanks for joining me. It's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. And we were saying before we record, and sometimes I wish I hit record a little bit earlier because so often I have conversations with guests where it's so free-flowing and so relaxed. We're getting to know each other. We're getting ready to, to chat and deliver value to the audience. And I was saying how interested I was to have a conversation with you around the more long-term effects of how we look after ourselves rather than just how we look. And given your background in both of these areas, that was what kind of compelled me to, to reach out and work hard to get, a, a, get an hour of your time. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's so important. Um, and I'm a big I'm a big proponent of 
you know, really pushing not only feeling great longevity, but also looking great. I mean, for me, I think that the best of both of all worlds is to have all of these things, to have a super highly functioning brain cognition that fires exactly how you want it to the second that you wake up, but also having the energy to go really do a very hard workout, crush it in the gym and show up for your family. And all of these things you can achieve if you really prioritize true health and in turn, you know, that benefits your longevity. Yeah. And your, your title is brain health coach. Kayla, what does that involve? Sure. So I actually studied um, human sciences and nutrition in my undergrad. And then I later, about five years ago, I decided to really dive into the brain health side of things and become a brain health coach. So I trained under who is being hailed at this moment as the most popular and renowned brain coach in the world. His name is Dr. Daniel Amen. He's absolutely incredible to follow. He really was a pioneer in, in brain health and psychiatry because instead of just using, you know, the standard questionnaire essentially to diagnose any mental health conditions, he's actually looking at the brain. How is the blood flow in the brain? He uses something called a spec scan, which literally shows you how your brain is functioning and what areas are lacking blood flow. So he takes, um, you know, psychiatry and brain diagnosis so much further. So it was really an honor and a pleasure to, you know, call him a friend and also to be able to train under him because he's really the best at what he does. So in terms of what we do is I actually have a practice. It's called Brain Upgraded. And we work with clients. We start from the most uh, base level in terms of all of your, all of your um, lab tests. So we look at everything from cholesterol to maybe even telomeres, if you're looking to understand your inner age, to um, your gut health, thyroid health, all of these different variables to understand your baseline and your biomarkers. And then we create a personalized nutrition supplement and lifestyle plan for you. And then of course, we're there every step of the way to guide you along, make sure that what we're actually implementing is working. You're having um, better cognition, your brain health is moving in the right direction and you're preparing your brain and your body for a longer lifespan. What part of driving your interest in this did your own wellness journey play? Yeah. So I uh, started my first business when I was 17. Um, it was actually a uh, public relations company back then. Um, this, and around that same time, I started having a lot of my own health issues. So I started having hives. I also had ADHD. I was on ADHD medication for about 10 years. Um, and there's also a personal family history of some mental health diagnoses. My mother, um, you know, has bipolar disorder. So it was a big part of why I got so interested in the brain. Um, I hired a team of functional doc a doctor, uh, an ND, a dietitian, and a nutritionist to kind of get to the root cause of my own issues coupled with my own education and nutrition understanding, I was able to get off ADHD medication. And I'm certainly not suggesting that everyone go and do that. If you're on it, you need to have a doctor's oversight and do it in the right way if you're interested in that. But yeah, I think all practitioners um, are kind of uh, propelled into this industry a lot of the times at least by their own personal health struggles or family health struggles. So that was the same case here. And, you know, being a really hungry entrepreneur, I wanted to have cognition that was just firing all the time. I was getting brain fog. I was getting mid-afternoon slumps. So it was really a combination of all of those things that put me into on the path to becoming a brain health coach. Yeah, absolutely. And I find it fascinating. And like you say, sometimes the things that we 
explore and find interest in when we turn our hand towards those it's like a real area of passion so it's almost like you're working in an area that you care about and it's also supporting your own well-being and then finding that you can then take that on to others it's like a really healthy almost noble cause that you end up exploring absolutely yeah and then you know really diving deep into the longevity side of things i mean who doesn't want to have a longer, healthier lifespan? And, you know, since being in this industry, I've really had the opportunity to connect with some of some of the best scientists, researchers, doctors in the field. And I've gotten to learn a lot from them. We exchange ideas in different areas of expertise, but it most certainly impacts not only myself, but anyone that's around me. And then I try to really make that widely available based on what I post and what I promote on Instagram and other social media platforms. Yeah. And you were saying there around these challenges and issues that you had with your own well-being, and you explored some conventional medicine and then you moved over to functional. What was the process to make that jump towards a functional approach? Did you hit a brick wall? Did you find that or did you stumble across something online? How did you end up making that jump? Because it seems like quite a big step for somebody to make. It was really a natural intuition for me. So the first time that I went to Western medicine, and of course, there's a, I have high respect for doctors in Western medicine, but um, I was having hives based on the amount of stress that I had in my life. So I was having these hive breakouts. And the only thing that they recommended was for me to use a steroid cream. And sure, that can work short term, but we were never talking about the root cause. I tried to bring up some ideas that I had of what it might be, but it just seemed to get kind of pushed to the side. They didn't really have enough time to discuss it. So I knew right then and there. And, you know, at this point, I was probably around 18 years old. And I knew right then that I didn't want to um, just be using creams and band-aids, essentially, on issues that I was having. So that's when I took it upon myself to not only dive deep on my own into the nutrition and research, but just surround myself with professionals that could really look at all of my data and biomarkers. Because when you go to a standard doctor, they're not going to be testing your gut. They're not going to be testing your thyroid, most likely, unless you want to ask them to specifically, they're not going to be testing your inflammation levels. They're just going to look for, you know, here's a medication, take it. And that's not the path that I felt was right or best for me. Yeah, I, I don't know how familiar you are with the, the UK medical system. We have a national healthcare service, which is fantastic in the fact that it's free um, healthcare at the point of um, kind of visiting. But because of that, there's also a very reactive nature in that somebody will show up with their problems and somebody has a very short space of time, maybe a general practice um, doctor to see them, give them a solution and get them out the door and see the next patient. It's kind of a very, very busy, busy um quick challenging environment and because of that there is that kind of sticking plaster band-aid approach the term that you just used there where we respond to what we're seeing and symptoms rather than addressing them at the root and what excites me the most when I consume content from people like yourself Kayla is that proactive approach to well-being and health that comes first before we maybe have to scramble around for solutions after something terrible or something challenging has started to happen to us. Absolutely. And, you know, our system over here is very much the same. Um, you know, the medical system, like I said, doctors are incredible. We need them. It's amazing. But um, in terms of getting to the root cause, that's why I'm so happy that functional medicine is just exploding. Um, Dr. Mark Hyman, he's a friend of mine, and he 
has really, really like paved the way. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, but I encourage everyone should follow him for sure. But he just, he just wants to get to the root cause of things, use food as medicine, use exercise, all the things that we're going to talk about in this podcast. It's a way to achieve optimal health because most people these days, they're so used to feeling bad. They're so used to um, you know, feeling really tired all the time, low energy levels, no motivation. They're just like dragging themselves through the day to come home, flip on the TV, do this, that, or the other. When really, if they really prioritized, um, you know, living and feeling the best, it is possible, you know, for most cases, of course, there are some cases that, you know, require a completely different route, but for most people, you can achieve optimal health if you're willing to make lifestyle changes and put in the work to, to get there. Yeah, and you're saying there about associating with some really leading practitioners. You were honored to be named by Mind Maps as one of the top leaders in longevity in the world. How would you define longevity and how does it link into some of the topics we've spoken about there in terms of like proactive well being and health? Absolutely. Yes, that was a great honor. Um, longevity, it's really about, it's not just expanding your lifespan. It, because if you're going to be 120 years old, but you can't move and you can't do things that you love and you can't remember the names of your family members, then we can probably all agree that's not the best option. So for me, improving longevity is improving our health span. So we want to live much longer, yes, but we also want to have the quality of the years in our life. We want to still be able to go outside, show up for our friends, remember everything, not have that cognitive decline that plagues so much of the population. And it's interesting because aging is now being looked at as a disease versus just a natural part of the life cycle. Because we're seeing now in the science that there are specific things that happen within the body at specific landmark ages, some of them being 30, 45, 60, where monumental changes happen. But if you can mitigate those changes and be aware of where you're at on that spectrum, it's very important because you know, we have our chronological age, which is how many years old we actually are based on the chart. But then we have a biological age, which is how old are our bodies inside? Because, you know, if you're a smoker and you're drinking and you're doing drugs, you're biologically, you can be much older than your chronological age. But if you're at the gym and you're prioritizing your nutrition and you're meditating and doing all of these things that we're going to talk about, then you can be much younger than, than your actual age. So that's what longevity is to me. And there's some incredible technology, um, incredible breakthroughs that are going to be coming there. There's some already here, but there's even more to look forward to in the next 20, 30, 40 years. I think that's a really exciting concept, isn't it? You're not cheating death and you're not cheating aging, but you're just working against your biological clock and making sure that what's going on inside you is, at its absolute best and I think everyone that listens and chooses to listen to a podcast that focuses on self-development and well-being and clicks on this episode they're going to be invested and open to the ideas that you suggest albeit some things they maybe have not heard before although some things will be obvious some things will be more challenging to them and I'm I'm certainly open to the the challenge to some of my own habits and routines as well with that in mind what are some of the big mistakes that people make when it comes to achieving longevity and health? So if we're going to talk about the subset of people that are actually thinking about longevity, I think that some of the most basic things are actually overlooked. So if we look at, um, and I, I consider myself to be a biohacker, so I have 
plenty of the tech at home. I have PEMF devices. I do ozone sauna two to three times a week. I have red light therapy at home. I have hydrogen water. I have ozone water, ozone machine at home. I have all these, the HAPA B, I have all these different devices, things that we can do. Nanav, there's hyperbaric oxygen therapy that I do a few times. These things are all great, but what's been proven to actually extend lifespan is strong social circles. So sometimes if you're a very type A personality and maybe you're checking the box, okay, I ate the exact proper nutrition today. I did my workouts. I did this, I did that, but you don't have a social group that you're connected to. Then not that those things aren't still helping your longevity because they are, but backed by science, one of the strongest determinations of how long you'll live is your social circle, having a very strong social connection, have fun, go out with friends. And that doesn't always mean you have to be drinking either. You know, a lot of people here in the States, I'm not sure if your culture is the same, but a lot of our social engagement is based around drinking. So that is definitely um, not a health food. Alcohol is not a health food. We've heard resveratrol. We've heard this and that and wine, but you know, the studies show that Unfortunately, alcohol and marijuana to the brain are, they're not helpful to uh, the brain and they damage the brain over time. So strong social circles, and then also just walking. So the speed in which you walk based on your age is also a large determiner of how long you'll live. So the brain really loves to go out and get walks. So getting outside in nature and uh, taking walks and really just going back a bit to, I like to say it's like ancestral wisdom meets modern science. So we can use all these devices like the aura ring to track our sleep and do all these things, but it's really important to also prioritize um, some of the behaviors that people in the areas, I'm sure, are you familiar with the blue zones? No, please, please tell me a bit more. So the blue zones, um, they are areas in which people live the longest. So all the longevity studies and the studies on supercentenarians, you know, people living over 110, 20 years old, they are conducted in these areas. And what it has shown is that, you know, people live a slower life. So now we have all this technology that we can kind of, you know, quote unquote, biohack and upgrade our physiology. But it's also important if you're really focused on longevity to still prioritize friends, having a good time, being silly, and, you know, getting out and having a daily walk in nature and grounding. To come back to your first point there, especially around social circle, I've heard things before around, like, the loneliness pandemic and the loneliness epidemic, whatever you want, whatever term we want to use, everyone seems to use, this is the real pandemic nowadays, don't they, to, 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 to kind of underline the, the importance of a particular ill in society. But loneliness is, is a big one in terms of people's ability to feel connected. And I'm sure there was some terrifying stat around the number of people that were able to put an emergency contact down on their medical records. I think it was actually in America. They really struggled to, to put down somebody that they could trust in a time of need to phone if they were admitted to the hospital. And that maybe underlines that, yes, we can maybe be ticking those boxes of I trained today, I tracked my nutrition, I had some, some um, like a healthy composition of food, I got out into nature. But do I have somebody that I can have conversations with, I can be silly with, I can have fun with, I can lighten myself and, 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 and laugh with? And that's very, very interesting consideration for people that would be focused on their self-development to consider, do I have that ability and that part of my week and my day, is that box being ticked as well? Absolutely. Yeah, there have been many studies and I made a post about it not too long ago, but loneliness is 
is very harmful to the brain. It's actually been compared in studies um, to the damage being that of smoking. So um, it's certainly something that we have to really prioritize. And that's why I say it's, it's something that I think is overlooked or maybe forgotten. It seems so simple, but having really true, strong relationships. And it's better, of course, to have quality probably over quantity, but just making sure that you're really um, creating time. If you have to put it in like a meeting, if you're that type of person, then put it in like a meeting and, and carve out that time to spend time with people that you love and that love you back. We'll maybe get a bit of an insight into my personality type here, Kayla, because the second thing you mentioned was around walking. And I like to try and combine the two in terms of socializing and going for a walk. Mm-hmm. I think it was one of the things that as restrictions eased in the UK, you were able to meet up with friends, but had to be outdoors in terms of the, the different laws that we had. And one of the most popular things was going for going for a walk and a takeaway coffee or whatever it was to, to, to kind of get some fresh air, catch up and be social. And of course, that's ticking the well-being box when it comes to being in nature and moving. But also, I, I find, and hopefully there'll be some sort of evidence to back me up, but when you're walking alongside somebody, face, uh, kind of side on, you, can, you tend to have some better conversations than when you're face-to-face, like an interview dynamic. And then um, I know there's some information about dating from that perspective. It can be quite healthy to be sat side on to somebody to be more open and transparent because you don't feel like you're being interrogated or interviewed. But I find my social connection over the last 18 months where we did more walking and more uh, going out and moving together, I found almost a deepening of connection with some of my friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I always call it like habit stacking too, which is what you're kind of describing here is you're, you're taking one habit of a walk, but you're also incorporating social connections during that time. So that's a wonderful way to think about it. Same thing with working out, grab a gym partner, not only does it improve accountability, and you know, you're more likely to show up, but you also have someone there to cheer you on, you cheer them on. So you can certainly bring these two things together, but it's always just important to make sure that you're prioritizing real true relationships. Yeah, and when you use it for formal exercise, like you've said there, Kayla, I think that explains in the UK, we've seen a massive rise, not just in CrossFit, but in functional fitness, which is kind of a scaled down version of it. Mm-hmm. And although a lot of people in my space who were quite, bias towards bodybuilding when we were younger maybe don't want to do full crossfit we've maybe done more functional workouts because it's allowed us to be part of a group rather than just one or two of you going in and hitting a hitting a hitting a push session it's it's a few of you going and doing like a kind of structured um workout together and i find that really interesting you've got that positive influence of spending time together doing that and it's leading to you being healthier in the longer term not just from the fact that you're exercising Absolutely. And, you know, um, the, actually the Cleveland clinic for functional medicine, one of, one of the few functional medicine centers, um, of that caliber, they act, they found that when they did group settings, so all their nutrition coaching was in a group, the patients had better outcomes up to 80% better outcomes in functional medicine in general, but the, the individuals when connected with a group, the group was able to, you know, um, share encouragement. They were able to share relatable stories and the entire group as a whole got much healthier than when they were just doing one-on-one consultations. Yeah, I think that makes total sense. And when you get that kind of data and it gives you reassurance that being more sociable and finding like quality connections over quantitative connections, as you just said, that's really reassuring for longevity. So that's social connection and, and walking that are two kind of low-hanging fruit, easy to attain, 
or maybe not easy to tame, but easier to action than potentially some of the more high tech biohacking things that you've you've named there. Is there anything else that you would you would add to that list at this stage? Yeah, I think autophagy is a big one. So we talk a lot about intermittent fasting, but it really is very powerful. Of course, you know, you want to make sure you're not taking it too far. You're not developing some sort of disordered eating. But um, if you think of it as a switch, so we have either mTOR or we have autophagy. mTOR is the growth phase. Many bodybuilders are very familiar with this because they're technically in a growth phase pretty much all day long every day because there's so many meals. There's such a small window of actually break from meals. So when you're feeding your body, you're then in growth phase, which is mTOR, but it's also just as important to be in the cellular cleaning phase, which would be autophagy while fasting, you can get into low levels of autophagy with just, you know, taking a break, starting at 6 PM, not eating till nine or 10 tomorrow. But every now and then I actually fast for about 24 to 36 hours, one day a week, because you get into some of those deeper stages of autophagy where the cells can actually go in and clean themselves out. So as we age, um, the cells begin to have a bit more dysfunction. So we want to keep the cells really healthy. We want to clear out the bad cells and we want to really nourish the good cells that are strong. We don't want any, what they call senescent cells or zombie cells. And autophagy helps to clear out some of those zombie or senescent cells that maybe are misfolded, but they haven't yet cleared out of our system. That's a really compelling argument for intermittent fasting versus the more traditional that you would see in some of the conversations that I've had where it's a very useful tool if you are doing a calorie deficit because you decrease your feeding window and it's kind of a hard and fast rule that if you eat after that time, of course, you're going to go over your, your, your calories that you've assigned yourself. And 16-8 is a protocol that I've used before, particularly on diets or when I've had particularly busy mornings and I'm out and about and I'm moving, I actually feel better when I've not maybe had a meal that's made me feel sluggish, albeit I do try and stick to proteins and fats earlier in the day when I'm when I do break my fast I absolutely find that my focus and my attention is clearer and it's actually strangely only once I eat that first meal that my hunger starts to come back whereas if I push that back another hour I probably would manage no problem at all because I haven't really kind of triggered whatever's going on inside my head or my stomach that's telling me I need to eat Absolutely. And intermittent fasting is a great strategy for any really, you know, um, cognitive intensive. So if you maybe have a speaking engagement later that day, many, many longevity leaders, biohackers, you know, they'll fast prior because it does give you mental clarity. Um, digesting food takes up a lot of energy. So, and then it can also make you feel sleepy after depending on what you eat, but yeah, intermittent fasting or taking a break from food prior to a big lecture or something that requires a lot of cognitive power is definitely going to help because, um, intermittent fasting can also help boost BDNF at BDNF, which is brain derived neurotropic factor to help your neurons actually regenerating the brain as well. So it's a very simple thing that you can implement if you're just doing a 16, eight or something of that nature on a daily basis. And then it does take, and it, I always recommend to work up to longer fast because you might not want to just jump right into it, but just, um, extend your fasting window day by day. And then, you know, maybe a week or a month later, you can do an, a longer fast. And it's also, again, do it with friends because trust me, I've, I've done up to a four day fast because after day three, your stem cells actually begin to uh, regenerate. So 
I've done a four day fast and I've done it with friends and I wouldn't have made it on my own, to be quite honest. I did it with um, a couple of my uh, ND friends and we all encouraged each other. And plus you don't want to let the group down. So that's another way that you can incorporate, you know, social, um, social relationships into your biohacking, your longevity practices. Given that what you're suggesting, particularly the longer fast, may be something that a lot of people would be intimidated by, including myself. I think it would give people reassurance if they understood just how into your like kind of performance fitness you are as well, as well as your health and well-being, because maybe somebody's listening thinking, oh, but I want to go and I want to train legs, push, pull those three days. And you're encouraging me to do a longer fast or even scaled back. Oh, I train at six or seven in the morning. I normally break my fast at eight or nine when I have my post-workout meal. How on earth can I implement this? this fasting, Kayla, but I think you can give them reassurance given what I know about you in terms of your own performance. Yes. Um, so I certainly very much so prioritize physical strength, um, you know, physique, all of this. So I work out, I strength train six days a week. I work with a trainer. As I was explaining to you, I've had some IFBB or IFFB pro uh, trainers in the past. So I am certainly um, very committed to strength training and having a, a really great looking physique. So this doesn't have to be this or that, you know, we can certainly um, live one lifestyle to achieve a physique that we like, but incorporate these other brain healthy habits and longevity promoting habits so that we can really have the best of both worlds. And again, these longer fasts don't have to be something that you do every day, but if you can commit to one a month, it's certainly going to, on a cellular level, benefit both your brain and your body and in turn your longevity. What impact does fasting have on our gut health and how we feel? Because I've heard a lot of people and they'll go to the extremes of like, oh yeah, I'm detoxing. And that's a terribly misused term as, as, as you and I will both know. But what impact does those longer periods of not eating have on our digestion and how our gut feels? So just to back up a little bit, so the gut and the brain are directly connected. You know, many people call the brain, the, sec the gut, sorry, the second brain. Um, over 70% of our serotonin, which is more commonly known as our happiness chemical is housed in the gut. So it's really important to have strong gut health in order to have optimal brain health. But in direct uh, relation to fasting or intermittent fasting and gut health, it's actually very beneficial because it gives your gut a bit of a break, especially if you're going through any sort of protocols. For instance, if you're doing, um, you know, maybe an autoimmune protocol or you're doing an elimination diet or something, it allows your gut to actually take a break and it can be very healing. Yeah, I think that's quite an exciting proposition because I think anyone that's eating the modern typical diet even when you are tracking calories and being conscious of like high protein and all these kind of things, digestive discomfort is almost like an accepted challenge that we all seem to put up with, particularly gym bros when we're smashing in like 200 grams of protein, regardless of how much we weigh and all that kind of crazy stuff that you maybe did as a, as a younger lifter. So I find holding up as an ability for your gut to feel better and maybe be more receptive and positive for what's going on inside your, your, your first brain rather than your second brain, then I find that quite a compelling reason to look at IF as well. Absolutely. I would agree with that. In terms of like my time following you, some of the things that you've highlighted are inflammation and you've maybe dropped that initially in some of our conversations so far as well. What role does inflammation play in our body 
overall? Sure. So most of the time when we think about inflammation, we think about if you receive a, a cut or an injury, inflammation in that sense is very important and very useful because it'll go to the injury site to heal it. But what we're experiencing and seeing more and more, especially with the current diet and nutrition is chronic low-grade inflammation. So inflammation that's in our body all the time based on um, stress, uh, lack of exercise, our diet plays a major role. These, um, these I'm sorry about that. These, uh, the foods that we're eating and the oils that are also in our food, you know, are very inflammatory to our body. I just posted something, um, I believe two days ago that saying that soybean oil is linked to actual structural changes in the brain, but it's also linked to high levels of inflammation. And when people are eating packaged goods and highly processed goods and sweets and all these things constantly, it leads to high or low grade inflammation in the body, depending on where you fall on that spectrum. But it, it's very um, harmful to the brain as well, because if you have inflammation in the body, then you also have inflammation in the brain and inflammation in the brain can lead to ADHD. It can lead to brain fog. It can lead to depression. It can lead to anxiety. So for me, when it comes to diet and lifestyle, some of the biggest pieces that I'm looking for is um, stable blood sugar throughout the day, and then also diets to lower inflammation, because that's going to really be beneficial for your overall health um, and your cognitive function. What are some of the approaches then to lower inflammation you said there in terms of diet? Um, and, you know, I will say a note that I certainly uh, am practicing what I preach here because I've had my inflammation levels tested. I get them tested twice a year and they've been zero for the past probably four years. So that's that's something that, you know, you want to strive for. But in terms of diet, certainly um, wild caught or very sustainably sourced uh, fatty fish like salmon. Um, also, anchovies are really great. I don't know if anyone likes the taste of them, but they're wonderful. Blueberries are incredibly helpful for um, overall health, specifically cognitive health. Um, proper grass-fed, grass-finished proteins. It's so important where you're getting your meats from because everything from how the animal was raised, what they ate, and how they were treated, that all impacts our health. So we have wild-caught fish. Um, dark leafy greens are loaded with phytonutrients, all of these minerals and vitamins that we need. So broccoli, Swiss chard, um, anything that's dark green is really going to be beneficial. Oysters are a superfood loaded with zinc. Um, if, you, if anyone likes oysters and organ meats are really, really beneficial as well. So um, I try to incorporate liver or liver capsules because liver has a very specific taste. So if it's not for you, I do the capsules from ancestral supplements. Um, yeah, so wild caught fish, really high quality proteins, grass fed and grass finished and ditch all bad oils. So canola, soybean, corn, all of these seed oils, I just would say eliminate them immediately and also use heat appropriate oils. So if you're going to be cooking um, and you're using a higher heat, you want to use uh, either avocado oil, ghee, MCT oil. But a lot of times people hear, oh, avocado, uh, av olive oil is really good for you. So I'm going to cook with it, but olive oil is not a high heat oil. So therefore, as it actually goes over its smoke point, not only do the antioxidants and the benefits of that olive oil start to degrade, but it also can become a little carcinogenic with the heat. So all of that. So, oh, dark chocolate as well. So uh, definitely dark chocolate. Everyone should really enjoy this one, but I have two pieces every day and there's studies to back that um, consuming dark chocolate on a daily basis is linked to better mood, 
um, decrease in depression and anxiety. So you want to choose a dark chocolate that's at least 70% cacao because it's really the cacao that we're going for here. Um, but dark chocolate's a great way to take it. So 70% or higher milk chocolate, white chocolate, those chocolates aren't going to give you those benefits. So dark chocolate as well. But for me, that's pretty much a brain healthy diet and including avocado and healthy fats. Walnuts, you know, walnuts are shaped like the brain. So that really is a true giveaway, but raw nuts, um, healthy fats, ghee, olive oil on salads, not cooking with, but these are all really strong brain healthy diet staples. And I also have them um, on my Instagram too. If anyone's looking, just read it and have it all laid out. Yeah, that is very prescriptive. And I always appreciate that level of insight and like you say, sometimes you'll say like things like, oh, eradicate seed oils. So you eradicate that and then you go with olive oil because you've heard it's healthy. But it's mm-hmm. about the application of that as well. It doesn't just come down to the the headline. There's always subheadings and a little bit of detail and context behind it because it's very easy to post an Instagram post and you'll probably find this. You put up something really helpful and informative. But of course, there's, there's notes underneath that explain exactly what you're asking people to implement. Like you say, if we break down dark chocolate, somebody might go and run to the supermarket and buy something like 50, 60% cacao. And Mm -hmm. ultimately they're not seeing the benefits. They might as well have just stuck to the milk chocolate if that was what they were going to go for. And uh, I actually shared your dark chocolate post with one of my friends because him and I have always been big big fans of dark chocolate pre-workout because we felt it improves blood flow around the body and it can be quite Mm -hmm. good for for the pump when you're training. Um, And that's that's maybe playing to our bias, but the fact that it works for a our brain health as well is, uh, is absolutely ideal. You you didn't name a particularly large number of carbohydrates there. Are you somebody that focuses primarily on proteins and fats? Is it is it to the extent that it's almost uh, ketosis or is your protein too high for that to be a... Uh, no. Yeah, great point. There definitely are smart carbs. So we want to focus on, and, and carbs are beneficial for the brain. You know, our brain runs off mostly glucose. So smart carbs, definitely. So you want to have a lower um, digesting carb. You don't want anything packaged. Those are very high carb, but that's the exact opposite of what you want. You want things like, like barley, farro, sweet potatoes, um, a really great sourdough, homemade sourdough bread or something of that nature. But again, no, nothing refined, nothing processed, no added sugars. So carbs, great thing that you point, brought that up. They have a really important role in a brain healthy diet. Yeah. But like you say, and, and there, there's like extremes to this where people are like good carbs and bad carbs, but there are better carbs for how you want to perform from a a health perspective and I think that's very helpful for people to kind of think about if it's more natural and not packaged and refined then that is a carbohydrate source that will maybe serve you better and albeit that's sometimes difficult because I know when I've been having like higher calories and trying to push my like body weight up or trying to maintain it because I'm quite an active person I've sometimes slipped into having more what you would call refined sources like bagels or um or 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 lots of cereal and things like that to try and get the get the numbers in but when you purely think from a numbers perspective it's very easy to lose the the health focus which you're which you're a proponent of absolutely yeah definitely and it's also when you have these smart carbs which are slower to digest it helps to balance your blood sugar for longer. So if you have, for example, a bagel or a protein bar or a packaged item that is very high in processed carbs, then your blood sugar is going to be out of control. So it's going to spike up 
and then it's immediately going to crash. So your energy is highly tied to that. But in addition, for longevity purposes, we want to try to keep as stable of a blood sugar level as possible throughout the day. So we want to have those carbs when the right carbs and also at the right times in the right amount, because you don't want to carb load necessarily, and then have a huge spike of glucose and then an immediate crash. Instead, we want to try to have it you know, in smaller amounts when appropriate. And I like to kind of base my carbs um, on how much I'm going to be exercising that day, depending on what the exercise load looks like, because carbohydrates are also very important for strength and very important for, you know, replenishing your muscles. So yes. Yeah, brilliant. I'm, I'm a big fan of that pre and post workout carbohydrates being based around that. So you almost feel like they're shuffling to the muscle during that period and they're being used albeit that can create a negative relationship with food i understand that for some people who are more kind of extreme that way where they maybe get triggered by oh no carbs on on non-training days but we're speaking here from like the most effective optimal perspective putting those in and around when you're going to be doing your strenuous strength training it's when your body's going to use them best and allow you to stay on that level keel that you've just spoken about exactly yeah and then I'm definitely not, you know, I've, I've done, um, vegan diets. I've done vegetarian diets at times. I've done keto. I've pretty been, been pretty deep in keto for the most part. I do try to, um, you know, of course use my carbs in moderation, but they still have a very important role. So if people are completely no carb, it, it's not going to end up well in the long run because your body's still not getting the nutrients and your brain's not getting the nutrients that it needs. So I, again, am not a big fan of like any one specific diet. I use uh, grass-fed meats and wild-caught proteins. I have organic greens. I think quality is what really matters. And everyone is very bio-individual when it comes to diet, what your body processes easiest. And to go in a little bit deeper on that, you know, it's important too to understand what you have sensitivities to because I've had a food test with many of our clients. We work with food test sensitivity tests because you may have no idea that you have a sensitivity to kale, for instance, you've heard it was a superfood, but your body can't break down kale the way that it's meant to. So that may lead to bloating, which you think is normal or um, brain fog or many different, you know, cognitive ailments. So you have to understand what foods love your body and what foods do you love? So then you can really develop a strong plan for the best personal nutrition possible. In office working life, there's always this like, conversation around the afternoon slump after the sandwich you have at lunch and largely if you were to do food tests and a lot of these people we'd probably find that there was some sort of intolerance or resistance to digestion of some of these foods I imagine that's kind of resulting in brain fog low energy low mood and the long-term effects of that are probably bad health but the short-term effects of that are less productivity as well Absolutely. Yes. That's why it's very important to know if, if you have the ability to what you're sensitive to, of course, dairy, gluten, these are pretty, you know, pretty normal ones. A lot of people have either removed dairy or gluten from their diet for various reasons, but it could be, it could be almonds and you're eating almonds every day because, you know, you've heard that they're healthy or it could be walnuts, which is an incredible brain food. But if you have a sensitivity to it, it's not going to benefit your body in the long run. And you're not going to, you know, have the best results again for longevity. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I came across your page when a particular post of yours went viral. That seems to be happening a lot these days because the content you're putting out there is, is, is so compelling. But it seems a little bit controversial in recent 
months and years, unfortunately, to speak about being proactive with our health. And particularly when it comes to lowering our risk of suffering with COVID. And we've avoided the C word up until this point, but let's uh, <laughs> let's let, let's go into it. You put forward on your Instagram uh, an alternative how the p- pandemic could have potentially been handled by government, how it could have supported us. What were some of the things that you advocated and suggested that some people deem controversial, but you were very much trying to throw something out there that was a little bit different? Absolutely. Yeah. So I did put that post together and and it certainly got a lot of reach, which I think is great. And it prompted conversations on both sides. And it even brought, you know, to my attention, a few things that that could have been tweaked. But in general, um, you know, essentially what was done is we were put into a lockdown. Social communication was completely cut off. Um, There was there still is really no talk about nutrition and the role that metabolic health is playing in this pandemic. So if if things, in my opinion, were done a little bit differently and there was, you know, for instance, Mark Hyman was was brought on to talk about nutrition every day and the role of metabolic health. We know that over here in the States, over 78 percent of hospitalizations were uh, for people that were overweight and obese. So working with these people to you know, improve their health so that they're in better health to actually, you know, fight off the virus and not have these detrimental outcomes because it's been proven essentially that um, if you're not in strong health, you're going to really, really struggle with the virus. So, you know, I talked about promoting people to go outside and get vitamin D every morning. I mean, you know, vitamin D, it was flying off the shelves, vitamin D and C was like an outage, but you know, you can get it from the sun. So we could have encouraged people to walk outside for 30 minutes to an hour every day. We could have, you know, actually had, you know, we, we had the checks, we had the stimulus payments, things like that. But along with that, you know, they could have been supported with the zinc and the quercetin and the vitamins that are shown to bolster your immune system. Um, keep gyms open, still safe, but allow people to work out because the benefits of exercise are vast. I mean, it's incredible for the brain boosting serotonin and dopamine, which is, you know, boosting our mood, uh, BDNF, BDNF, so many things, but also it's great for our bodies. So promoting overall health, um, you know, I talked about limiting alcohol or, or completely eradicating alcohol, but, you know, I do, I do realize that there are people with, with very true addictions that would need a lot of assistance with that, but alcohol consumption during the pandemic completely skyrocketed. And when we look at the brain scans, it is so clear that it's not a health food, even, you know, one to two drinks a week can still lower the blood flow to your brain. So if we want to come out of this better, I'm just, I'm still shocked actually that we're not talking about it more because seven in 10 deaths annually in the States are are based on lifestyle factors, preventable things, heart disease, stroke, um, diabetes, obesity, type two diabetes, that is uh, obesity. So many things that not only are taking up, you know, about 3 trillion of our $3.9 trillion budget annually for healthcare, but are also making people feel so bad. And, and there's been so much fear around this. Instead of having that, if we would have implemented a couple of of the things that I laid out in that Instagram post, I feel like we would come out of this a lot healthier and a lot stronger and a lot better because also we have no idea what could be around the corner. So instead of getting better during this time, um, the statistics show that we've actually gotten a lot worse. Um, Diabetes in children increased by almost 60% and the severity increased at the same time. And it's just so tragic because that's going to be a very difficult and uphill battle for them to get out of 
um, you know, to kind of really turn their health around after developing type two diabetes um, at such a young age. So. I was yeah. excited to ask you that question because I knew I was going to be so impressed by the answer because I appreciate I come from a bias of personal responsibility and fitness and health and lifestyle, but it's such a measured approach and a piece of advice that looks beyond the current challenges that we have because one of my biggest upsets with this period is that many other diseases like heart disease like cancer have maybe gone neglected by this and we focus so much on oh if we can treat this one particular disease and wear this mask to stop the spread of this and take this vaccine to reduce the risk when you get this particular disease at the expense of all others if we can work on our health overall which lowers our risk for these other killers that we have out there then I think we would be in a much better position and one of the challenges we face in healthcare from or conventional healthcare from from where I'm looking is the the kind of the quick fixes that we want to immediate um, like immediate solutions to short uh, kind of problems to kind of fix things short term whereas because tackling obesity or tackling ill health is a longer term lifestyle change that maybe won't see immediate results in terms of statistics. That's why there's less appetite to do it, albeit there's maybe other agendas at play as well. But when you look at how long it might take, six, 12, 10 weeks for somebody to build and form these habits and these structures to be more healthy, to drop some of the weight they've got, to exercise more in their heart and everything else to be healthier, they're almost like, oh no, but it'd be much better if we could put up the statistic of how many people have like not got the case, not got, got not got cases this week, or how many people have been vaccinated? It's much, it's much more like headline grabbing to say than oh, this number of people tuned into our live stream where they learned a bit more about how to structure their diet from a healthy perspective, and they all went in their one hour walk. Absolutely, yeah, and I mean, you know, it's gotten so much coverage for good reason what we're currently going through. But I just feel very strongly that we need to have more coverage and and more actionable items, because look at how long we've been in this situation. Imagine the progress that if, if we really had been promoted at the very beginning of this to, um, you know, support our health and, you know, the businesses were closed. I also mentioned, you know, smoking. I mean, it's known to absolutely reduce lung function. And this is a virus that is attacking the lungs directly. So I laid out so many things. If anyone wants to take a look at it, check it out on my Instagram. But, um, you know, if we would have handled it differently and promoted um, optimal health from the beginning, imagine how much progress could have been made throughout the past year and a half, almost two years. It would have been so much more exciting to come out because once we'd maybe dealt with the challenge that is COVID, we'd be in a better position to deal with all these other diseases, which have links to being overweight and not looking after ourselves from a, a food perspective, a tobacco perspective, an alcohol perspective, an outside perspective. perspective. Sleep yeah. perspective, meditation, um, you know, all these things, they are all, all really amount to feeling your best and being able in a position to, you know, fight off anything that really comes our way. Yeah. You mentioned supplementation and I've been a big fan. I've had a really interesting professor speak about vitamin D on the podcast before. And unfortunately in Scotland, there's large periods of the year where there's not enough sunlight that's strong enough to give you the uh, vitamin D that you need in required doses. So there's a requirement to supplement probably about 4,000 IU per day. But mm -hmm. you mentioned other things like, like zinc, for example. What are some of these other supplements that lead into a stronger immune system overall? 
and with the caveat that the, t the closing name supplementation on top of all the other things that you've advocated today in terms of diet and structure? Absolutely. And I have a post too on, um, you know, foods to get some of these um, nutrients from as well, like zinc and oysters, for instance, but zinc, quercetin, um, vitamin C, vitamin D, all really important for boosting your your um, immune system. And then also making sure your magnesium levels are optimized. There's a couple of quick at-home tests because two, two things about supplements. One thing is it's incredibly important to get it from a high quality source. I would not recommend going to the nearest um, convenience store, for example, and grabbing a supplement off the shelf because it's been proven when these have been in independently tested that the levels could be extremely uh, higher than they say in the bottle or you know, really have almost none of the actual products. So I recommend getting a high quality source. Um, if you're interested or anyone's interested, I have a basically a practitioner grade supplement store. So they're only available to practitioners and we can prescribe them as clients, but that's one because you don't wanna waste your money or your time or potentially have something harmful entering your body if you're not choosing a high quality supplement. And then the other, the other piece of this is know what you really need because everything is so individual. So quercetin, vitamin D, zinc, um, and vitamin C are all really good for boosting the immune system, but you wanna know what you really need. So there's also tests like a micro or macronutrient level test that can actually show you your specific deficiencies. Because again, also if you're taking way too much vitamin C or vitamin D, that's not good either. So you wanna make sure that you're having the exact amount that you need. So if it's a possibility for you and you could have, you know, let's say three tests done by a naturopathic doctor, I would say a gut test, I would say a macronutrient test. And I would also say, um, um, what did we talk about earlier? I'm sorry, gut test, macronutrient test, and- um, uh, Intolerances, so- Yeah, intolerances, yes, exactly. Food sensitivity tests, so sorry about that. And a food sensitivity test. Those would be my three. And that would put you in such an incredibly, you know, powerful position in terms of knowledge about your body and what you really need. Because otherwise, like I said, with supplements, you could be taking way too much. And I'm a big fan of like new supplements that come out. I like to try them, test them out, but also you don't want to be taking something that could be harmful if you're taking it in extreme doses over time. Do you know one of the things I really appreciate about you, Kayla, is that you have gone very very far and you biohack and you invest in all these different um technologies to improve things but it's not at the expense of giving actionable advice to i don't want to say the average person because people that listen to this podcast aren't average at all you guys are you guys are brilliant but you're giving advice to people that can action it more easily rather than perhaps purchasing the very very top level um technology they can action things in terms of their lifestyle but also fairly cost-effective testing and knowledge and information is power in order to like make really kind of positive decisions for your health and your well-being. Absolutely. I'm, I'm a big, big fan of, of understanding what's truly going on because then you can make very measurable change. Yeah, exactly that. Without understanding what's going on, we are sort of stabbing in the dark. And although some of the things you've spoken about, like social connection and walking and being more conscious of your food choices, that's quite easy to do. And you probably will get some pretty quick marginal gains from that, which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. But for the more important decisions in terms of dosages and approach to supplementation and some of the different foods to definitely include and definitely not include, there does need to be an element of investment of time and research 
and getting the right information to then move that forward. So I think there's there's kind of a number of different ways that people can go with the discussion we've had in terms of how far they want to go or how quickly they want to go along that wellness journey. Yes, absolutely. If you're in this for the long run, you most certainly want to make sure that everything that you're doing has a purpose behind it and that it's going to be beneficial to your body, your brain, and your longevity. Yeah, exactly that, Kayla. Well, I've absolutely loved this conversation. I've learned so, so much. I've mentioned a number of times about different posts of yours that I've consumed over the short period that we've been connected. Where should people head towards if they want to learn a little bit more themselves? My Instagram is my name, Kayla Barnes, at K-A-Y-L-A-B-A-R-N-E-S. And then my website, if you're ever interested in coaching or just to see what we offer and kind of our science-backed approach to brain health, it is brain-upgraded.com. Those will both be linked in the show notes below. Thank you so much for joining me again, guys. I'm sure you've joined, enjoyed this one. If you have, take a screenshot, pop it in your Instagram story, tag me at call.cambro, tag Kayla. We would love your feedback and I can't wait to speak to you all again very, very soon.